are we doing today? Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for welcoming us so well. Um, some places, you know, I come in really well and I leave with a lot, of, a lot of people throwing rocks and I'm pretty fast. It's hard to hit me. I can dodge side to side pretty well. But uh, thank you for receiving us so well. This is my lovely bride over here, Mona. You stand up. She won't stand up. She usually gets mad at me when I do stuff like this. But, and I also want to th- thank um, somebody else, too. This is really interesting. Over the last, probably the last year or so, I've met several folks from here, and it's, it's through the Yoders. You know, Sammy and Tiffany right back here have, um, have really been very, very good friends to us. We, we enjoy hanging around together, eating a little food, and... Um, Mona and Tiffany like to run. I do not like to run, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> but it's just good, and so it's just good to see their family. Does that make sense? Good to see the family. And, it's, and you know, so if get them. If you get angry with me, just go to them and talk to them. Throw rocks at them <laughs> and stuff. But thank you for welcoming us so well. And I've had a great time this weekend. You're very open. Receptivity makes a huge difference, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, the Spirit of the Lord, when there's freedom, there really is freedom. Does it make sense? How many of y'all have ever been in a place where there is no freedom? Yeah. You know, I don't stay in those places real long time unless I can stir up a little trouble. I don't mind stirring up a little trouble either, so it's just my, my nature. Uh, a little mischievous is what I am. Today I'm going to start with something that's, um, I could go two or three directions, so we'll see where I end up. Does that sound Okay. Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. You know, this, this was a passage that I always thought was really good because it's talking about unity and that kind of thing. And then probably about four or five years ago, I had an open vision, and in it I saw Aaron, and I saw Aaron being anointed by unity. And it began to run down. It ran down his beard and got on his cloak. And then it was really interesting because what I saw, he took his cloak off, and he began to hit people with it. And anointing began to flow, and it began to bless the body. And it was when there was unity in the body that the oil of the Spirit begins to flow out and an anointing goes, and then uh, ministry is released in that moment. It's like, it's like whenever Elijah grabs, um, or Elisha grabs Elijah's cloak, what happens? He gets a double anointing. He gets a double anointing. And I've always wanted that. How many of y'all want a double? I'll take a triple, you know. But see, I, people say, well, you got a double anointing. No, I think what he already had, he had his own. In his own right, he was already a prophet. He could already see very, very clearly. And then he got a little up when he got the next one. And I've always thought that was pretty cool. I can gather from everybody that I can. I gather nuances of anointing that they carry. And I'm not a guy that goes and asks for prayer. But I'll, I'll see somebody and I'll go, you know, Lord, I want to meet them one day. I want to meet them. And I want to have a little bit of what they got. And, and, and I'm not going to orchestrate it. You're going to have to orchestrate it. I have some of the most interesting meetings with people. Uh, there's one guy I wanted to meet one time, and I just said, you know, Lord, I'd like to meet him someday. Because I saw him give his testimony. I thought, that's a really neat guy. I was walking through the airport one day with a guy I just met at a conference. And he goes, oh, there's so-and-so. He said, I go, cool. 
I go, you know him? He goes, yeah. I said, I'd like to meet him. And so I got to go over and meet him and had about half an hour with him between planes. Isn't that cool? See, God gives us the desires of our heart. He really will give us those desires. And then I just go, you know, give me a little bit of that, Lord. Give me a little bit of that. I want some more of that. And he'll build in us something really good. But I think a lot of it comes in a body like this. One of the things I've been very, very pleased by while I've been here is I'm going to talk a little bit, just very, very briefly, about fivefold gifting. You know, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. Those giftings that Jesus gave to us as gifts to bless the body. And he gave, it, he gave those gifts to us for this reason, so that we could create superstar ministers. And they could have, what are you laughing for? I'm building my ministry here, guys. Come on. You know? He gave those people to us for, the, for what? For equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are saints? Raise your hands. Who are the saints? We're the saints. And it's really interesting because oftentimes I think we've lost that. But I think that unity starts with those five first. The neat thing about being here, I've seen all these giftings in this body already. And as they learn to work more effectively together, I think it could really transform your city and transform your lives and really make you ascending, already has been ascending body to send out into the nations, to send out across town, to send it to the next town. Isn't that a neat thought? And it's very organic. You know, you never plan these things. You know who plans things? God. One of the, my favorite stories is actually uh, the whole thing in Acts 13. It says that there were teachers and prophets gathered together in Antioch. And as they ministered to the Lord, see, together, these guys were all high-powered. If you read that list, all those guys were apostles. It's, it calls them teachers and prophets. They were all apostles. They're noted in church history as apostles. And so they were there, and they were actually in unity. Can you imagine that? A bunch of high-powered guys together, and nobody's trying to take the other guy out? My gosh, show it to us, Lord. That's why we have 348,000 denominations in America. We can't get along, you know? But we want unity, don't we? And let it begin here with us. Let it begin here and let that oil flow down upon the head of the ministry. And let it flow down across the beard. I've got to grow my beard back so I can have some oil. When it hits the cloak, it will fan out to the body of Christ. This is a vision I had. And I've been praying over that for a long time because I want to walk in that way. I really do. I want to walk in unity with that. You know, I'm, a, I'm kind of a prophetic guy. And um, I enjoy that part of my life. And people go, no, you're really kind of pastoral. And I go, hang around me for about 15 minutes, you know. <laughs> that, that wears off real quick. <laughs> and, but the reality is, is I'm looking for an apostle to walk with. I've had two or three in my life that I've walked with, and I really enjoyed it. I gained incredible amounts from them. The neat things about apostles is they're just flat-out arrogant. You know why? They have such a calling over their life. And they aren't arrogant. You know what they really are? They're focused. They know where they're going, and they set a direction, and I can buy into it. I can go, I want to go there with you. I want to go there with you, and I want to do some of the stuff you're doing. And I really enjoy it when I tie into those guys because they're exciting and they're scary. They just scare you to death. They scare you to death. And it's so much fun when God shows up because they've seen what he's going to do. They've seen what he's going to do. 
I went to work for a guy one time, and he was actually very apostolic. And we were, he said, you know, I'd been working for him for two weeks. He goes, you're packing your bags. We're going to Arkansas. And was living in California at the time. He says, we're going to Arkansas. And I'm thinking, well, that's my hometown, you know, hometown area. It's going to be good and stuff. And I'm thinking, but everybody that knows me is going to be there. That's not going to be good. <laughs> you know, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Have you ever noticed that? All the prophets that are here say, amen. <laughs> you know, I know how it goes. And so we go in, and, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just here to enjoy the ride. And, you know, John stands up, and he speaks. There's 800 people in this room, and he speaks. And he's having a great time because he tells jokes, and these people all think he's funny, you know. And so he's having a real good time. And then all of a sudden he goes, Dave, Blaine, would you mind coming up here? And I'm thinking, okay, this is not bad. You're not going to handle this. You know, people looking at you. You, you really do intimidate me. Some of you are really rough-looking folks. Right, you, you yeah. You, you smile, but I see what's going on. <laughs> and we get up there, and, you know, you're expecting John to take care of business. He's not going to take care of business. He goes, Dave, that half the room's yours. Blaine, that half the room's yours. Have fun, boys. And he stood up on the platform and watched as we began just to touch people and the presence of the Lord began to come across the room. And I thought, you know, this is what it's like to function underneath the anointing of somebody who carries the presence of God. The presence of God begins to flow through us. And we were there in unity. We were there to accomplish a common purpose. There were healings all over the place. There were people all over the floor. People's lives were getting totally messed up. I love it. Guys were going to lose their jobs because they had a power experience with the Lord. There were three guys there from a very, very conservative church in Dallas. They don't believe in anything that we believe. They came to the conference because somebody said, oh, this will be a great conference. They walk in, they're clueless. They're clueless. One of them gets healed. And it was really funny. Blaine called me over. He goes, Taylor, come over here. I want to show you something. He goes, these three guys work for so-and-so. And it's a very, very conservative de- de- denominational school uh, school president and he had his own church and they're they're anti i mean not just anti they are vehemently anti-charismatic they don't believe in the gifts of the spirit at all and there's three of his staff members sitting there and one of them has his hands up in the air praising god and he goes he had a rug a rugby injury on his shoulder he couldn't lift his arm above here so he's totally healed so he's dancing around with his hands in the air one of them's out on the floor. No telling what's going on with that poor guy because the Lord's literally knocked him out. And the other's sitting there going. <laughs> and he goes, interview him. I go, what do you think about this? We're going to lose our jobs. <laughs> and we don't care. See, they never knew that God could come. But you walk into a place where there's apostolic ministry going on and good things are going to happen. When unity is there, unity of purpose and focus, good things are going to happen. And there may be some weird things happen. I don't like weird, by the way, at least when it happens to me. Now, I like weird when it happens to you. It's kind of fun. I like to laugh at you. I really do. Don't you like doing that? Don't you like seeing one of your friends flopping on the floor or something? Man, Joe, you look hilarious. You know? And you just hope he doesn't give some of the anointing to you. <laughs> yeah. I used to make fun of people, and uh, I was horsing around with some guys, and we were praying for a bunch of people. We were praying for a couple hundred people one night, and, and we had waited into the middle of it, and I'd been praying for a couple hours, and I was just worn out. So I thought, you know, that's enough. I'm going to step up on the platform. 
you know, and there was nobody up there, and there's a big spotlight on the platform, and I just stepped up to get out of the way and relax for a few minutes, and one of my friends turned, and he looks, and he goes, look, the Spirit of God's on Dave, and it hit me, and I began to pogo, and I began to shake violently, and I began to sweat like a pig. By the way, I heard pigs really don't sweat, so, but I began to have sweat rolling down. I soaked my clothes. I soaked my pants, and I pogoed, and every time I would start to slow down, guys would walk by, and they were just having so much fun with this, and they'd go, give him more, and it would start again, and I'd go, would you quit, you know? But there was a whole release in my life after that night. There was an increase in my ministry of power. There was an increase in my understanding of how God moved among his people. Healing began to break out whenever I was by myself, and I could even heal myself, be healed. It was awesome. It was not so embarrassing, but boy, did they ever have fun. And then there's, there were the Taylor stories after that. You, you should have seen Dave. He's up on the platform, man, bouncing like crazy. And you just go, oh, that's real funny. Ha, ha, you know, I'll get you back. But see, don't you want that to happen among you? Don't you want to be able to laugh at your friends because God visited them in some way? <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's good stuff, guys. But unity is huge. Unity is huge. I'm going to talk about a few things about unity. And um, let's, let's go to uh, uh, Ephesians 4. Give you a minute to get there. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, make, let's see, lost it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, uh, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, uh, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. As Christ apportioned it. It comes down to this. How do we find unity? It's because we all agree on everything, isn't it? What are you laughing for, eh? Why is it that we have unity? He died so that we could put aside our differences. That's part of, part of the issue, is we come under the umbrella of what he is, and he, is, he had unity. He had the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the exact replica, replication of what it means to be unified in purpose. And out of that comes the creation of a universe that is ordered, it's timely, and it has great power, and it's held together by what? The word, the word of his mouth. All that comes from this man who calls us to walk in unity. We have a real hard time fulfilling that, 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 that purpose. It says, you know, they'll know you by what? Your love. Your love for one another. I have a real hard time with that. Did you know there's some people out there I don't even like? Are there any people you don't like? There's some people I really don't like at all. And you know why? It's because they're different than I am. And so I just have to put aside some of the differences and come back to the place of unity. And I really have to stop and look at that sometimes. And I go, you know, God, why did you make them like that? Because if they were more like me, we just have a better thing going on here. And then he's really quick to point out all my 
problems and my fallible issues. And he goes, if it was really like you, you'd have an even more corrupt world. He goes, but if you work on each other, something good might come out of it. You know, I was in a place where uh, I wasn't treated real nice, and, and I, I, I just I thought, you know, whenever you're not just not being treated real nice, you can do a couple of things. One is you can fight, and it just makes it worse, or you can just kind of bow out and go away and say, you know, I'm going to take my ball and go home. I didn't do that. I just said, you know, I'm just going to be gracious, and I'm just going to walk away, and I'm just going to be patient for the timing of the Lord. The problem was that God wouldn't let me, let me alone for a while, and he said, I want you to send this particular man a word of blessing. And I go, you know, Lord, I don't really think he wants a word of blessing from me. It wouldn't be received that way. It wouldn't be received that way. And he goes, you know, I really don't care what you think, Dave. Have you ever had one of those conversations? So for about two or three months, I sat on it, and I prayed into it. I got deeper and deeper and deeper insight. And it really went deep. And I thought, this is really good. This is encouraging it's got vision in it. It's got insight in it. And it's a word of blessing. And I'm thinking, okay, God, what are you doing? And one day I'm driving to work. And he goes, today is the day. And I go, what day? He goes, the day you deliver the word. And I go, but God, I'm st- no, today is the day. And so I got to work and I typed it out and sent it on email. Isn't the email wonderful? You know? I can do a lot sitting at my desk. I sent the word off, and I'm thinking, well, there went a blessing, you know? God bless him. And it was really interesting because I got, uh, I was thinking, why today? Well, two days later, a friend of mine met with him, and he was cursing my name. He was using me as a filthy word. And I, I found out about it. Me and my friend came and said, you know what they said about you? You know what that does in your heart? Just terrible things. And so you just have to go, I really don't want to hear anymore. Let's just put that aside. And the Lord said, the reason I had you send the blessing on that day is this was going to happen. And I want you to be a blessing no matter what they do to you. This is what you will do. You will bless your enemies. He said, you will come into a place. He said, you've got to come into the place of maturity where you love those who despitefully use you. If you can't come there, you'll never come into the destiny I have over your life. And I thought, well, that was really interesting, you know. So I just kind of let say, God, just take that and push it away. Push it away, and he did. A few days later, I get an email back from the guy. He said, oh, you're such a blessing. I'm going, oh, so now I'm a blessing, you know. <laughs> and he said, this word was given to me. He said, I thought it had died. It was given to me by Jim Gall and Bob Jones, and he had a couple of people that had given him this word. And he said, I've sat on this for over 15 years, and I thought there was no hope left in it. Was it a blessing to him? Yeah. Am I really a blessing? Yes, I am. A blessing in disguise. If you can receive a word from somebody you don't like, that's a, that's a sign of maturity. You ever thought about that, too? See, giving and receiving of those things in a body is very, very important. We don't necessarily have to get along with each other to love each other. You know, we are very, very different people, aren't we? I have a few principles here that I think are very interesting. This is something, uh, 
I think we're called, I think that one of the things I really like is that Paul's a prisoner for the Lord. See, when you're a prisoner for the Lord, you know what happens? You don't really have a say in anything. You really don't. You know, there's a young man, and some of us know him. His, his name's Judah in our group. And he started coming, and I just kept watching this guy, and I'm thinking, man, he's really an unusually, unusually gifted person. But I couldn't see his gifts for a couple of weeks. And then one night I'm speaking, and I look over at him, and I see the Apostle Paul. And I'm thinking, dang, what am I doing up here in front of the group, you know? The Apostle Paul's sitting there. And so I turned to him. I said, you know, I said, you're a man who has been constrained. You're a bondservant of Christ. I can't remember the exact way I phrased it, but you're a bondservant for Christ. And I said, you, he, I said Paul was in bondage for 14 years before. In other words, the call came. It was 14 years before he was released into his ministry. And I said, you're a man who will taste death or has even tasted death, just like Paul. You're called to difficult places. Never had a conversation with him before. He came up to me after the group. He's a real kind of quiet guy, actually. Really gentle man and everything else. He said, you know, he said, I became a Christian 14 years ago. And he said, the Lord told me what I was made for. He told me that I was supposed to go to the Middle East. He said, I went to Cairo in Jerusalem. He said, I preached on the streets. He said, they took a baseball bat to me in Cairo, put me in the hospital. He said, I've tasted death. And he said, right now, that's not what I'm called to do. He said, I'm here. I'm waiting patiently for some things to transpire. And he says, but I want to show you something. He lifts up his shirt sleeve, and bond slave was tattooed across his arm. And he said, the Lord told me I would be a bond slave like Paul was. He said, I'm not to spend myself except how he would spend me. He is a servant of the Lord. Now, isn't that a powerful calling? I've tattooed my calling across my chest. You want to see it? No. <laughs> I had to break that up. I'm sorry. I got too serious. But I think when we begin to see ourselves as that, we can put aside some of the things that we carry as prejudices. I have some things that I have at work, and I brought them with me. These are actually off my, uh, my, my website at work, and these are things that I'm constantly supposed to be reminded of. I think they tie in really well here. Here's some of the things that Paul says. He says, we're to have humility. We aren't to be self-serving. We're to be gentle. The word picture here is an animal that's been trained and is under control. So it's like an attack dog. That's what we're like. See, we're God's attack dogs. Have you ever thought about that? We're walking along. We're constrained by him. And he goes, sick him. And we go, sick who? Sick that one. <laughs> you know? And we get, to get, we get to go over and do some mean things to them, you know? And it will change their life forever. I just love that thought of, man, I'm, I'm a very gentle man, so watch out. It says, be patient, possessing enduring purpose toward a goal and toward others. You know, we often talk about patience with ourselves. But we have to be patient as God grows other people up around us. Have you ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? How many of you all have kids that you've raised or are raising? It takes a lot of patience, doesn't it? I, I, I disciple a lot of people at my job. I'm a trainer. I hire people, I train them, and I make them the best employees I can, that they can be. That's my job. If one of them fails, you know who failed? Me. That's who it is. If they fail, it's my fault because I haven't hired the right person, I haven't invested the right kind of material and time into them, and I haven't cared enough 
about them for them to be successful. And that's the way I begin to look at people around me. Love, we've got to seek the greatest good for others. Isn't that hard to do? It is all about me, isn't it? It really is. I mean, sometimes it is. But God will change our hearts in that. Peace. We have to have right relationships between man and man. There really is a place. It's really fun. How many of you all have worked in an environment where there was no peace? Isn't it awful? You get up in the morning, you go, oh, gosh, I've got to get up and go to that place again. You know? Oh, God, when are you going to free me from that bondage? You know, just let me win the lottery. You know? I get up every morning, and I work with a great team of people. There's a little conflict on there every once in a while, but I actually get up every morning and go, you know, I get to go to work, and I work in a pretty good place. I have a saying around Hallmark is this, and it, it's, it's very, very interesting. A bad day at Hallmark is better than a good day at most companies. That's my attitude, and I bring that attitude in. There's somebody that was talking about me the other day, and they go, you know, you're the most positive person I ever knew, and I'm just like, you couldn't be, I'm the, you can ask me, I'm the biggest pessimist that ever walked the face of the earth. But I actually enjoy being there, and it shows. And it's because we have unity of purpose, and we make great product, and we love what we do. Work with very creative people. This is a very creative church. You know, you know what it's like to walk in, and there's these artists that are doing incredible things. And, and the stuff that they do on the card is, is very, very eh. The stuff they do that hangs around their offices and the stuff that they do that hangs in their home is extraordinary. They're, they're incredible people. Some of them are craftsmen. They sculpt. I mean, one guy, he, he builds toys. He looks, like a, he looks like Geppetto in Pinocchio. He actually has the little lamb chops and everything. It's hilarious. And he builds these intricate toys. And some of them will stand this tall and some of them are this tall. And they're hand-carved. And they all have little cranks and stuff on them. It is unbelievable. His, the, the problem is this guy is so neurotic. You know, he's, he's probably one of the best sculptors that I've ever seen in my life. And he, he's so neurotic, he thinks he's going to be fired every other day. And I, I, go, I go, Ken, you've made like $480 million for the company in the last two years. I don't think they're going to fire you, you know. <laughs> That's the kind of people I work with. They're very, very gifted, very gifted and I go, what am I doing here? And I go, I'm a poser. <laughs> I'm a poser, and I get away with it every day. You know, it's really great. But there's some things there. We have right relationships with one another and do great things. The basis of unity is not the fact that we all agree. It's the fact that we're one body. We're brought together by one common love for Jesus. He is the head of all things. Jesus is the head of all things. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to remember that sometimes. Don't you wish you'd just appear in front of you someday and say, if you don't make it right, I'm going to come and have a really hard talk with you behind the woodshed. Wouldn't it be easier? Because he's not here in front of us right now at all times, and therefore we forget about some of the things he's asked us to do. But he is the one in his body. He wants it to work together. He wants it whenever my nose itches, that this finger here can come up here and scratch it. See, that's a really subtle way of scratching my nose in front of a public place, you know, just he's using his <laughs> illustration, <laughs> kidding you. But he wants that ability. Does that make sense? If he wants me over there, he wants his feet on these legs to be able to take me over there because I need to be over there. And when we're in unity, we can do that, can't we? But if my brain wants to go over there and my feet need to be over there and my head needs to be over there, I'm in real trouble, right? 
So we just need to pull it all together in one body. One spirit, we get our breath from him. Have you ever thought that we have a common breath? Have you ever thought what makes us breathe? See, I think thoughts like that all the time, and I go, that's real. And then I go, I can't catch my breath. (laughs) What makes us breathe is he breathes the breath of life into a pile of dirt, and life comes into us. And as long as he breathes in our life, we have breath. And at the very last breath, I get an eternal breath, and I can't wait for that day. And mine's coming closer all the time. I can't wait for that day. Isn't that a great thought? I want his, his eternal breath. We have one hope that we all will enter into the presence of Jesus. I want everybody. Yeah, you don't understand. I know people that actually want people to go to hell. By the way, I think there's going to be a whole lot of people there. I really do. I want none of them to go there. I don't want to see anybody. I don't even want my worst enemy to suffer torment. I really don't. I just want them to see him redeemed. I really do want to see him redeemed. And I get that way. The closer I get to heaven, the more I want to see everybody get to heaven. And I don't even, to tell you the truth, when I get up there, I'm not going to care. The Lord told me one time, he said, you know, David, this conflict that's going on right now? I go, yes. And he goes, when you get to heaven, you're going to stand side by side. Everything is going to be made clear, and you aren't going to give a rip. He said, so don't give a rip now. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? It's pretty powerful. It says he says, we have one Lord whom we serve. We have one faith. And by the way, it's not a creed. Did you know that your faith is not a creed? You know, I, I, I like sitting around and arguing with people. And what I really like doing is stirring up trouble. So I like to listen to what they think and then give them some other picture of it. And I'm pretty good at it, actually. Kind of rhetoric. And I like doing that. You know why? I just love seeing them irritated. And I like laughing with them. And then I go, I'm just joking with you. I really don't care about that. But what it is, is, you know, it's like baptism. It says we have one baptism. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of ways to sprinkle. You can dunk them. You can do all kinds of things to them. I can probably do behind the back with a cup of water or something like that, you know. And does it really matter? You know, throw them in a shower. Shh, that's a fast sprinkle, and it covers them pretty good, you know. Does it really matter how we do that? Does it matter that we do? Yes. Does it matter how we do it? I don't think God's up there going, you know, like Dancing with the Stars, I give that one a 6, you know, you know, and if you do it just right, I give that one a 10. You know, I just don't think it happens like that. I think he's just looking for us to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. And, he's, and you know, how many churches have split over stuff like that? How many churches have split over that stuff? It's amazing. But we have one baptism. You know what that baptism really is? It's into Christ. He who died for us, we come into his life. And Paul talks about a baptism that literally is for life. The baptism I like the most has nothing to do with water. It's the water of the Spirit is what it is. That baptism I really get into. The one that comes and he overwhelms my body. He overwhelms my mind and my spirit, my soul, and I feel him. And, you know, I've had many of those. He comes and refreshes me. How many of y'all like to be refreshed like that? Isn't it awesome when that happens? And I go, you're good, God. You're good. And you're good all the time. I love that thing. So that's what it's about, is about unity. 
And we come under unity because we've come under him, and he is our king, and he is our ruler. He is our God, and that's why we serve him. I love it. These things right here, I brought them, and um, I've got to hurry because I want to get weird for a while too. And these are called Woodstone Principles. This is what I'm called to. It's a high-performance model. I'm a high-performance person. Isn't it great? You know, do I look like one? <laughs> oh, man. I look in the mirror every morning and I go, man, i got to go be a poser again, you know. And it says commitment, accountability, and consequence. Well, those are heavy words, aren't they? Commitment, accountability, consequence. You know, there is an accountability around me. I have a bottom line that I have to achieve every year. I have a top line and I have a bottom line. And it is scored out and I get, I get a, almost a weekly score. And if I'm not making my numbers, if we aren't doing well, I lead the group. There's four of us that lead our group. My job is in jeopardy. And it's not, they aren't malicious or anything else. They just said, here's what we expect out of you. And you know what? There's a little bit of pressure on that. A little bit of pressure on it. Especially whenever the economy crashes and you're still expected to meet your numbers. So how would you like that job? You know? But I do. I like it. Because you know what? The favor of God is with you when you're doing what you're asked to do. The favor of God is with you when you're doing what you've been asked to do, no matter what it is. You know, I told him my aspirational job is uh, serving up chicken strips in the, in the crown room because there is no pressure at all. You know, the pressure is, can I count to three? Because you get three strips of plate, you know? <laughs> you know? I look at my numbers, and it's $658 million. And I go, oh, gosh. You know, I got 10 bucks in my account. I can't even help out by throwing some in the till, you know? Think about it. Heavy-duty stuff, boys. But here's three. Here's three. These are called our rules of engagement. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds like I'm going to hit somebody, doesn't it, you know, in football. Rules of engagement. How do you pound them? You know, how do you take the other guy down? The first one is this. You're accountable for your own performance. You're accountable for your own performance. You know, I love it whenever I hear one of my employees whining, and the thing is is I come up on them because I'm a manager. I call it management by walking around. I stop by and see every employee I have at least every other day. And I walk into some really interesting conversations, sometimes about me. And they've learned you don't want to talk about David. He could stick his head in the door at any given moment. And I don't do it to intimidate. And it's actually something that in my review this year they put down as one of the highest marks that he cares so much about us. He stops to see us to see what our needs are, and he makes sure they're taken care of before the next day. I found it's very, very effective to be with people and to care with them. And my, my staff is very diverse. They're all different people. I have to flex my personality. Some of them are just flat-out weird, you know? But they're really good at what they do. Some of them are very particular. Some of, I have one guy, he's, he's, he's more intelligent than I ever am. And I finally had to have the talk with him. I said, I agree with you that you're ten times smarter than me, but I'm the boss. And I'll never pull the boss card. But I will spar with you. I said, but whenever I make a decision, and when I say this is where we're going, this is where we're going. And he just looks at me, he laughs. He goes, man, you're a straight shooter, aren't you? That was our first conversation, you know, as an employee. He's become one of my best friends. One of the things I know is he's a coffee junkie. You know, those big old honking dudes, he drinks about four of those a day. 
You know, if I want to keep him happy, I go by his desk about 2 o'clock, and I go, man, you're looking a little tired. You need to pick me up. And I take him down to our Starbucks, and I buy him a cup of coffee, and I tell him what a great employee he is, and then I ask him what his concerns are, and he is the biggest complainer I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so I said, complain all you want to with me. And I said, and when we walk into a meeting together, you're going to be like me. You're going to be perky. And he goes, I don't do perky. And I said, I know you don't, but you're going to at least look perky. And, you know, he has become one of the masterminds of our department because he is so intelligent, but he has such a bad attitude, I just have to govern his attitude. That's walking in unity, each of us utilizing our strengths. I'm responsible, or he's responsible for his success, and I'm responsible for mine. You know, when you're looking around, and this is in the body of Christ, I hear this all the time, is, you know, if so-and-so would just do so-and-so, well, then this would be a better place. If so-and-so would just do so-and-so, the power of God would release. If so-and-so would just do such-and-such, then I would be blessed. That got heavy, didn't it? Really fast. You feel that? And everyone's sitting here going, boy, I just did that yesterday. In fact, I did it this morning on the way to church. You're responsible for your own success. Who are you in Christ? What has God made you to be? What has he called you to do? By the way, I've had so many roadblocks put in front of me. And you know what roadblocks are? There are opportunities to see what God can do to change my circumstances. I've had him tell me impossible things that are going to happen. And then I sat back and I go, you know, God, I can never accomplish that. And he goes, I know. And I'm glad you know that too. Watch what I do. My success rests in him, not in you or you or you or you. And I love you, not in you, you, you. But rest in him. The end of the day, I stand before him. I don't stand before anybody in this place. Some of you may be up there going, I saw him in Kentucky, man. He's a mess. And Jesus will go, hey, I died for that mess. I died for that mess. And I just gave him a new robe. And it's white. Isn't that cool? Your enemies are going to be up there, and, and he's going to have given them a robe too. That's awesome. But we are responsible for our own success. We're also responsible for this. You're accountable for the success of your stakeholders. You know what a stakeholder is? It's a vampire slayer. That's what it is. Haven't you seen the latest movies? No, I'm kidding you. Oh, man. I just can't have it too serious too long. Your stakeholders are those who depend on you and who you depend on. You know, those are the people, those are the people that, that you're, you're responsible for their success as well. I quit focusing on me and I begin to say, what's going to make my employees successful? What's going to make my business partner successful? And I begin to talk to them. And I begin to say, I think if we do this together, things are going to be different. I believe if we come into a place of harmony, by the way, we have problems with unity at work. I know that's really hard for you to believe that that would ever happen in the workplace. And it would definitely not happen in the church. But sometimes we, we call them fierce conversations. That's what we call them. You know why? I went to the class on fierce conversations. I came back. My partner says, how was it? I go, I learned how to have an angry conversation. You want to have one? And I just started laughing. <laughs> because, see, fierce is not that. Fierce is just laying things on the table in a very kind way and saying, we have some things we need to discuss. Let's talk about them. This is my perspective. What's yours? At the end of the year this year, we've been working together for a year. I sit down with my stakeholders, and I ask them. I said, I thought it was going to be a quick conversation because I'm pretty good. 
I go, what things did I do well this year? And they had a list that was pretty good. I'm thinking, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stinking good. Yeah, man. And then I made the mistake of asking the second question, what things could I improve? That list was pretty stinking long. And, you know, it was not malicious at all. did not hurt my feelings at all. And then I said, okay, as my stakeholders, what can you do to help me be better at what I do? We ended up, the four of us, we had a two-hour conversation about what each one of us could bring to the table, how we could complement one another, and how we could be a stronger management team. Does that sound like five-fold ministry? Does that sound like five? Does this look like the church at all? You pull your best together, and you say, in our diversity, there is strength. I have a business operations person, a marketing person, a creative design, and I'm creative editorial. We make a great fourfold ministry, if you want to put it that way. But I believe so strongly in this unity thing, and I believe that he gave us five gifts for a purpose. Come to understand what that looks like. And then your stakeholders, you become, you bind together, and you say we're bound together by him who gives us purpose, who gives us common purpose. Does this make sense? Hopefully I'm not too heavy. You must be willing and able to subordinate your personal agenda for the good of the company Go, That's hard. Read that one again. You must be willing and able to subordinate your personal agenda for the good of the company Go. If I'm fighting with my design counterpart all the time, we're going to have some pretty ugly cards. You know, We have a saying around there. It's really funny because... Most there's, there's this whole thing that we see. We do all this research. It's incredible all the research. I get stacks of research on my desk, and you know, to sell a greeting card, you wouldn't believe market segmentation and all kinds of stuff. Well, we found out something a long time ago. You know what happens? People pick up a greeting card because of what it looks like. They go, "That's really pretty. That's a nice design. I like that. Fits my style, my image, everything else. I think you know, mom would like it. Don't forget Mother's Day. Mom would like it, <laughs> which is today." No, next week. I'm sorry, next week. <laughs> I was thinking out loud there. I've got to buy my cards. And then you, you pick it up because, but if it doesn't say the right thing, if it doesn't say the right thing, then you put it back, don't you? That's not the relationship with my mother. So you go to the next one. And eventually, to tell you the truth, what we found out is they will buy a butt ugly card if it says the right thing. <laughs> So I tell my design partner, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to save your rear because it's the words that work, boy. And it's not really. You know what it is? It's the perfect marriage of both things together. When the design is perfect and what it says is perfect, then we get a sale. And we bank on that. And we literally bank on it. Does that make sense? That's how I eat. Think about that, you know. It's working together. Even inanimate objects have to come into a common purpose. We have to come to a common purpose. But we have to subordinate our agenda for the good of the company. And and for the church is this. You're responsible for your relationship with Jesus. Adam's not. Ray's not. I'm not. You are responsible for your personal relationship with Jesus. You're responsible for other people's relationship and how you dwell with them, because we are a community. You know, the, the Ten Commandments are all issues of how we live well in the community, how we live in harmony. 
We don't lie to one another. We don't cheat one another. We don't snake one another's spouses. We love God together. Think about it. It's about dwelling in community. And it's all for the purpose of this, for the kingdom of God, for the expansion of the kingdom of God, that his rule and reign might be found in this world because we are working together for a common purpose, that we have subjugated ourselves to that greater purpose. And it doesn't matter, by the way. I just love, I I keep trying to come up with another word for ministry because I think ministry is so misunderstood. We all have a purpose to accomplish in him in this world. I'm always looking for mine. Mine morphs all the time. It morphs all the time. Because I'm in different environments and I'm doing different things and I'm just trying to find out how I can be the greatest blessing today to other people and how I can just not screw it up royally again. How many of y'all ever do that? You know? It's real... It's really difficult when you're a human being to work through this passage, isn't it? But it's glorious because whenever that happens, it says the body comes together in full unity and things begin to happen. Things begin to happen. And I like it when things happen. That's what I live for. I love it when the Spirit of the Lord comes. How many of y'all are feeling the Spirit of the Lord right now? Isn't that good? Doesn't that feel great? You know, I felt the presence. Every, the whole time I've been here, I felt the presence of the Lord. You guys have invited it. You've made a dwelling place for it to happen. That's not everywhere I go. Sometimes I'm trying to drag it through the door. I keep going, come on in, Holy Spirit. He goes, no, I'm not going in there. <laughs> you know? Those people are rough. I've been in there before. (laughs) You ever thought about that? You ever thought about that? Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm a little bit. You know, I I really probably could get stoned for some of the things I say. I'm just glad you realize I'm not totally serious. But the reality is there are places that quench the Spirit. And they quench it because of the way that they cannot love one another. They come together to do their ritual, and then they leave, having satisfied whatever they think it is that they need to do for God. By the way, God really doesn't need anything from you. Did you know that? Did you really know that? Have you ever thought about that? Does he really need you? Think about it. Go look in the mirror today and go, does God really need that? You know? And he will say, I don't need you, but I want you. I want your whole life. I want your whole heart. I want everything that you are. That's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. And I like it when he uses me, so we're just going to try a little bit of that. Does that sound okay, too? Uh, I know it's, it's probably pretty late. Can we just play for just a few minutes? If you need to leave, feel free to leave, okay? And if I just tick you off, you can get to leave. I was preaching at a, at a Nazarene church, and you can imagine me in a Nazarene church. That was pretty interesting. There were people that left. <laughs> but there's an awful lot that got blessed. You know, it was awesome. It was awesome. They've had me back three times. And every time, people get up and leave. <laughs> I'm surprised they ever come. I think they just do it so they can just show me that they disapprove of me. <laughs> and you know what? It doesn't even hurt my feelings anymore. 
because I kind of like those folks, you know. I liked one of them real good. It was really funny because uh, I, I called them up, and, and <laughs> I just love this, you know, because you aren't supposed to do certain things in your church. And I just I called I call them up, and, and they, they needed a prayer for healing. They had a, a problem with the migraine, and I didn't pray for them. I'm like, you know, if you miss it up, they might just do something to you. So I had one of their friends come up and pray for them, and, and they, they seemed to get better. And I said, well, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? And they said, yeah, that was pretty cool. And so like a few minutes later, Laura said, she's hurting again. I said, are you hurting again? She goes, yeah, come on up. I said, well, just come up here. I said, this time I'll pray for you. And I reached over and touched her, and she hit the floor face first. I go, that was a lot of fun. Her husband comes running up. I said, it's okay, because, see, they aren't used to people doing weird stuff in their church. And I said, it's okay. You can go sit down. He goes, and he's, I said, no, I'm really serious. It's okay. Go sit down. And I just go on about the service, just having a good time, you know. And then she starts getting She's trying to kind of, and he, I said, you can come get her now. <laughs> well, she gets up, and they, they go sit back down. She's trying to talk to him, and she can only speak in tongues. She can't speak English anymore. <laughs> I really screwed their heads up bad. <laughs> you know? Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun? But those people really like me. Those people really like I broke all their rules. Don't you like doing that? Justin, would you mind coming up here? <laughs>